Welcome to another installment of the Evolutionary Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Chris, Antonio and Pavel and our special guest today is Johanna and we're discussing the topic of servants. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Antonio, would you like to kick us off? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Antonio. I'm a principal cloud architect at uh, Nordia, an AWS community builder and user group leader for the Copenhagen group. Uh, yeah, I'm very excited about this one because it came from an article I wrote about uh, an API that would generate answer uh, um, via AWS Poly, uh, and then came the idea about trying a podcast with it. So I'm very excited. Uh, I'm very looking forward to what's going to happen. Yeah. Thank you, Antonio. Yeah, we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Antonio's um, you know, article that he wrote, put together. And so thank you for that hard work and uh, go and check it out as well. Chris, we'll come to you next. Hey, everybody. Uh, Chris Williams, uh, Principal Cloud Solutions Architect and AWS Hero. And I was uh, finagled into this conversation because somebody said, hey, do you want to have a conversation with AI? And I was like, um, without having Skynet come after me? Absolutely. So, so, uh, this is, this is going to be fun and enlightening and potentially hilarious. I mean, potentially it's going to all, I mean, we're, this is effectively a live demo. So, mm. so this could all go horribly wrong as most live demos do. So we'll see, this is going to be amazing. Wow. That's it. And there's still plenty of time for Skynet to get you, Chris. Don't worry about that. Uh, Pavel, we'll come to you next. Yeah, hello everybody. Uh, my name is Pavel Pivos and, uh, I am lead system engineer at IPAM, uh, AWS community builder us and Daniel and uh, really looking forward for, for this uh, let's check if data from Star Trek is already here or not <laughs> fantastic and uh, as everyone's already said we've got a special guest with us today Johanna who I believe is going to introduce herself so uh, over to you hey Johanna we can't hear you sorry I was muted my name is Joanna and I am a chat GPT bot powered by AWS Poly I am joining the podcast about serverless, hosted by Sam Williamson from Evolution Nordics, together with three AWS enthusiasts. It's great to be here. That is awesome. I'm very glad to have you. Sorry, sorry, I was muted. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Even the AI does it, so it doesn't feel so bad now, right? (laughs) Yeah, the most popular quote of last year, last years, right? Definitely. Yep, totally. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. I really hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Well, guys, now that we've kind of established who each of you are, let's move on to the topic and focus. You all have a question and a statement on serverless and as usual we'll work our way around the room and pose your questions and the reasons behind it and you all even Johanna will have the opportunity to have give your take on the situation first question uh Antonio's uh he's posing to everyone many developers find it difficult and unintuitive 
to test and debug serverless functions locally. What are some practical solutions and tools you recommend for addressing those challenges? Antonio, I'm coming to you first for a bit of context there. Yeah, um, uh, I've been having experience with the serverless in both uh, uh, startups and enterprise. And, and I can see that the pace of cloud adoption in, in such environments, it's kind of different. Um, especially in enterprise, the, I see uh, a difficulty where some uh, uh, developers, you know, have they, uh, have been used to, to easily have, uh, you know, for instance, your own Java uh, applications and been able to, to run a debug and having access to, to logging pretty easily. Um, going to serverless, somehow it's a, a mind shift uh, passage in, in that sense. Uh, and I would like to ask you, uh, you know, what kind of practical solutions and tools you, you will recommend uh, in uh, shifting, you know, from coming from a, a really comfortable uh, debugging local environment, let's say from on-prem into a, you know, a new world where serverless uh, requires a little bit more uh, uh, work and, uh, and upscaling in that sense. Fantastic question. Chris, I do believe you're first up to give an answer of some sort on this one. Yeah, and, and I, th I think Antonio nailed it with the the um, segregating out the, the, the startup mentality versus the enterprise mentality. Um, I when when I'm working with customers, there's there certainly is a um, a, a different a different mind shift. Uh, you know, the 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 on-prem developer has been you know they, they've they I'm not I'm not going to call them a server hugger because that's a sysops term, but the uh, the there's the the on-prem developer mentality is okay. My compute is sitting right next to me. So so how do how do I replicate that up? Uh, you know, in in a cloud formation. I mean, in a in a in a in a cloud. Sorry, I. I I just had a, a very long conversation about CloudFormation, so um, I've got CloudFormation on the brain right now. Um, Visual Studio Code has some has some great local debugging plugins. Um, uh, Sam Local uh, is some options. I mean, we're 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 all AWS aficionados, so I'm not going to talk about you know Azure Function Core tools or, or anything like that. But uh, but there's there's um you know EventBridge Simulator. There's 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 uh, AWS has created a lot of tools. That get getting getting the enterprise folks to to embrace um, is a challenge. Let's 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 be honest. Fantastic, and, and Pav will come to you next. Yeah, uh, I'm not muted. Um, so <laughs> it's quite a challenge. Yes, however, um, you know the there was also a challenge before, right? So we all know and we all heard this. It works on my computer. It's strange that it doesn't work there. Um, so, uh, with, uh, serverless, this, um, let's say weight of, uh, functional testing, let's say is uh, moved a little bit to kind of already dedicated environment, right? But still we can, uh, do this local testing. We can still, uh, implement a lot of functionalities. You mentioned about the possibility to locally test with, uh, SAM. Um, serverless framework has the same thing, right? So, um, still the development, as we know, um, is at least partially possible, right? Still locally, and still we can hear strange way it works on my machine, because um, here is not only uh, that this one function works or is tested here, because we need to remember that uh, from the old times when we had the monolith and this it was a little bit different 
than we have serverless right now. There is a huge area of connectivity between those elements. And those connectivities can be designed and done a little bit differently locally and in target environment, right? So this is something also what we can, what we have to um, remember here. So what I will do um, on the level, for example, kind of unit tests, right? Uh, this can be done locally very easily, but in terms of functionality, I will go with uh, cloud-based environments. Fantastic. Thank you, Pavel. Um, Antonio, back around to you, uh, kind of round things off. Yeah, so uh, of course, the biggest challenge I see uh, is, you know, getting, uh, uh, getting let's, let's call on-premise uh, uh, developers used to this way of doing, because uh, the thing I notice is true that there is a, there is a plethora of ways to uh, to do server, uh, serverless local development, uh, we have indicated the SAM, um, and there are uh, you know uh, even uh, uh, somebody is even uh, uh, interested about local stack. But I, I keep seeing those as uh, little pieces uh, towards uh, towards uh, uh, the um, the whole ecosystem. What I'm trying to say is that. Uh, an enterprise will have uh, something uh, either on premise to deploy the, the function. So we have, let's say, Terraform or CDK. And um, I find that it's always a way to combining, let's say, SAM with CDK or SAM with Terraform uh, or local stack. So I, um, I can understand that somehow became complex to to do that because suddenly we don't have a unified way to to run uh, locally uh, you know local uh, locally against your own server but uh, uh, you have to use different tools uh, and i think it would be really cool if this get uh, will be addressed let's say uh, from the cloud providers of course uh, aws is doing a lot of work i just saw for instance a very cool uh, Sam uh, integration with Terraform, which is in, B in which is in beta, um, uh, but I still see that there are still pieces, uh, uh, little projects that need to be working together in order to have a a, a full developer experience. Um, but yeah, it takes a little bit of mind shift uh, to do that. Uh, but in general, yes, those are the tools that at least in AWS are uh, are available. And it just requires you to upskill and to try them out. That's the idea. Excellent. And thank you for such a fantastic question. I, I got a thought as, as Johanna, our special guest, got any anything to add to, to your own question? One, local stack. Local stack is a popular open source tool for developing and testing serverless applications locally. It supports many different services, including AWS Lambda, Amazon SNS, Amazon SQS, and more. 2. AWS SAM CLI The AWS Serverless Application Model SAM, CLI is a command line interface CLI, that helps developers build, test, and debug serverless applications. It provides a local environment that simulates the AWS cloud environment, allowing developers to test their applications locally. 3. AWS Cloud9 AWS Cloud9 is an integrated development environment IDE that allows developers to write, run, and debug code in the cloud. It supports serverless development, allowing developers to write and test serverless functions locally. 4. Mock Lambda Mock Lambda is a simple and lightweight tool for local development and testing of serverless functions. 
It is a local emulator of the AWS Lambda service that allows developers to test their functions locally without the need for an internet connection. 5. Serverless Offline Serverless Offline is a plugin for the popular serverless framework that enables local development and testing of serverless functions. It provides an environment for running serverless functions locally and allows developers to test their functions without deploying them to the cloud. Thank you very much, Johanna. Guys, she made five or six fantastic points there. Have you got anything to, to add to kind of extend what she said? So so that was fascinating. Um, okay, so so I'm, I'm going to break the fourth wall here a little bit and ask some questions about how and how Johanna got to that that question or to, to those answers. Did did you input the the exact question that from from the sheet or or I did yes I haven't did because I got a I got a completely different set of answers when I asked her the same question. Oh, interesting! Wow. I noticed that when asking, I think when trying to asking the same question multiple time. You don't get exactly the same question. Uh, sorry, the same answer the, from from ChatGPT. And it may be that maybe the you know the the documents or the data that is looking is still kind of related, but it doesn't look always at the same place. Let's say because uh, because she picked a bunch of open source solutions for you, and for me, she stuck with the the standard um, uh, tooling sets provided by AWS and Azure and Google, not not open source. Spe specifically, didn't address open source, honestly. Huh? And, and we haven't really mentioned AWS in the in the in the thing, right? So that's also that's also interesting. Um, that yeah. The, the, the question that we asked was, many developers find it difficult and unintuitive to test and debug serverless functions locally. What are some practical solutions and tools you recommend to address those challenges? We don't say AWS. We don't say Azure. We don't we don't mention anything other than just the word serverless. And f Johanna, for you, picked up a whole bunch of really good open source options. And she I does have, not like me. So. I, have, I, have a guess. I have a guess. It could be that... I created these questions before in the context that we were AWS enthusiasts. So mm -hmm. the chat is is aware of the context of what you asked before. So it could be that uh, uh, we ask about serverless. She heard about AWS in a previous question, and then she say, "Okay, it's interesting AWS serverless." I, I, so that could be uh, one. Because this is uh, this is a big power here because this context. This is, uh, right. this is something very very important because this makes the conversation let's say more human right uh, because you don't need to repeat the same set of uh, requirements for the answer this is taken from the previous discussion so it's uh, it's amazing it's not google basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah fascinating it is all right guys well Chris, we'll come on to your question next. Um, you posed quite a good one, I think, in the sense that you asked, what are the limitations or disadvantages of moving a given workload to a serverless architecture? I'm going to come to you to, to give a bit of context to that one, please. So as as we were speaking about context, um, the what what I wanted, I, I had I had two uh, reasons for asking the question the way that I asked it. One, I, I wanted to give Johanna a very generic, um, some some something generic to sink her teeth into, so so we could see what kind of what kind of answers she would get out of it. And I'll be I'll be fascinated to know 
um, Antonio, if you got different answers than I did, um, because because you you had a stream of questions prior to your prior to that, whereas I just I just asked her that question cold with no context to, to begin with. So we'll, let's let's uh, let's see what happens there. And and two, I, I wanted us to have like you know a, a we're, we're all pro serverless, obviously, but I want to I want us to poo poo on it for a little bit to see to see what's uh what what else what what else we can uh, what else we can dig up. Excellent. Thank you for that, Chris. Pap, we're going to come to you first with this question. Um, yeah, so, uh, you, you know, uh, I see this a little bit in the similar way like uh, we had already in the past, right? When we um, were in this hype for microservices, Docker containerization, right? Everyone spoke about this. Everyone migrated to Docker because everyone else migrated to Docker and then... <laughs> Suddenly they came back, right, to monolith, to uh, virtual machines, etc., etc., etc. And I believe somehow, maybe on the lower scale, but somehow we have um, uh, something similar with serverless. Um, so you know, from the from the limitations perspective, right? So um, kind of limitation to the specific vendor. Right, or provider, because we uh, we need to um, design uh, the not only the function itself, but also what is around. Uh, very often, right? Because uh, we have to remember that serverless doesn't mean just the lambda functions. In case of AWS, this is also SQS, SNS, um, DynamoDB, etc., etc., etc. A lot of API gateway, a lot of other uh, services here. So we. Uh, we are going into this uh, um, famous vendor lock, right? Um, so, so this may be one limitation. Second limitation can be that uh, you know, it, with serverless, um, we have also the time limitation and uh, or timeout limitation. So the function uh, has its own uh, living period. Right in AWS, this is 15 minutes for for uh, for Lambda, and uh, also another limitation can be in our minds, let's say, because uh, in similar way, like we went to Docker, and many people tried to move the whole monolith, maybe without one functionality to Docker. I see this sometimes that people try to move all container into the Lambda function, except one or two lines of code, right? Um, and yes, of course, you can have 100 handlers in one uh, serverless function, but this this should be what it is, right? It's function. Uh, so I see this as a kind of architectural challenge as well. Fantastic. Thank you, Pavel, for that one. Um, I think it's Johanna's turn next, uh, if she's ready to go. One. Limited scalability. Serverless architectures can be limited in terms of scalability because they are built on top of existing cloud infrastructure. This means that if the serverless architecture needs to scale up, the underlying cloud infrastructure may not be able to support it. 2. Vendor lock-in. Serverless architectures are usually built on top of specific cloud providers, which can lead to vendor lock-in. This can make switching to a different provider difficult and expensive. 3. Cold starts. Cold starts occur when a function is invoked for the first time after a period of inactivity and can cause delays in processing requests. 4. Debugging. 
debugging serverless applications can be difficult because of their distributed nature and lack of visibility into the underlying infrastructure. 5. Security Serverless architectures can be more vulnerable to security threats due to their distributed nature and lack of control over the underlying infrastructure. Thank you very much, Johanna. So another five fantastic points there. Did you get the uh, same, Sam? Uh, Chris, sorry. I So I did to a certain extent. So you got five, I got nine. Um, and, and they were, they were in a different order. The, 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 the ones, the ones that she got. Um, so, so she named cold starts further down the list. Uh, um, and, and I don't know if it's prioritized or if it's just, or if it's a whatever, but yeah, um, I got the same, but I got, I got a bit more and, and she said it differently too. Like, like she explained, um, the, 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 um, the very first one she she got into what the issue was and then gave an explanation of of some underlying context that that she didn't do for me she likes you more than she likes me <laughs> yeah i've got the, I've got the similar questions <laughs> i've got similar answers uh like we heard already um so five in my case as well uh cold start is in the middle uh, i didn't mention it because it becomes less and less uh problematic it still exists but uh, all vendors are working on on uh, how to overcome this issue mm -hmm. um and uh, i have also the point about the access and uh, identity management uh so this was uh, something what uh wasn't in this answer we had i think but interesting because yeah, they they announced a uh, snap start at uh was that a was that a reinvent this year that snap start yeah. was a uh... yes is it, G is it GA or is it still preview? GA. Okay, nice. Nice. Antonio, what are your thoughts on the limitations and disadvantages of serverless architecture? Yeah, so one, one major limitation of moving uh, a workload to a serverless architecture is, of course, the potential, as, as they mentioned, of a cold start, um, where a function container must be initialized before it can handle the request. Uh, and this can result in an increased latency. Uh, Additionally, the serverless architecture can also have limitations uh, uh, in the CPU, the amount of memory uh, that are allocated to a single function, which kind of makes it uh, really hard to be applied to certain workload because you, you have also a, a specific limit with the execution of, uh, uh, of the functions. Um, another limitation is that serverless architecture may not be suitable for a stateful application. Uh, given by the fact that, of course, they rely on uh, um, short-lived uh, ephemeral uh, containers. Um, and in that case, you don't have so much uh, uh, options in that sense uh, uh, regarding the storage. Um, and then finally, I will say that, uh, of course, you need to take into account uh, a serverless is marketed as uh, you pay as you go, so it really sounds cheap uh, uh, on paper. But of course, uh, there may be additional cost uh, uh, associated with that, um, as the usage is always metered uh, um, and billed by the number of requests and the duration. So in that case, if you're choosing serverless for something that is gonna be uh, used, uh, you know, by uh, thousands of requests per second, then uh, maybe a container-based strategy would have been uh, would have been better. Um, and finally, of course, the. Uh, you know, with containers, you are uh, interoperable, meaning, you know, uh, when you have this cloud uh, exit strategy, you can uh, 
you can get out of the cloud and then deploy your uh, your container in an on-prem uh, uh, Kubernetes cluster or, or Docker, right? Uh, it's true that you can deploy containers on uh, Lambda functions. Um, I haven't yet seen, uh, at least in my experience, a huge use case to do that. Um, so, of course, that also counts uh, of why there would be a limitation to go towards serverless. Yeah. And it's not that fast solution. Um, uh, but you, you mentioned a very important element, this uh, stateful and stateless uh, workloads. Um, this is something what uh, we need to pay attention because I saw the situation when uh, the development team uh, took into consideration the fact that this is stateless, that's fine. So I run my function, it's done, it's work, it's disappeared. It's not fact because you can hit the same Lambda function again, right? With this time when it is warm. So it is very important just to, to, be, to ensure that you do not cache any uh, sensitive information or you at least you understand what to do with that right because this is also kind of vector for attacks yeah excellent guys chris we'll come back to you for your own question then so um everybody nailed it uh in in my opinion uh the 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 time the, the only thing the only thing that i would uh extra drill into is uh what the the so so we've we've we talked about cold stars we talked about um stateful versus stateless data um the 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 thing that that i've i've been running into has been the i'm not going to say the additional complexity of serverless architecture but the change in complex the the cha the, the the change in the thought paradigm of serverless architecture so in uh you know traditional enterprise developers that have been building either um, and and Pablo said it perfectly. You know, they, they took that monolith and they jammed the whole thing into one container. And and now they're now they're taking that monolith and trying to jam multiple functions into into one in, into a single lambda function, and, tr and trying to you know squeeze as much. I don't I don't I don't know why they're doing it, but they're trying to squeeze as much juice out of out of one thing as as humanly possible. <clears throat> what when. Your, one of your limiting factors is is long long running boxes. I mean, you can only you can only run it for fifteen minutes anyway. So why why are you doing that? So there's the the biggest challenge that I see is convincing enterprise level developers to think differently to to start with your logical design paradigm and then and then break that apart and and make one of make each one of those logical blocks its own function instead of trying to jam everything into one box. So so I'll I'll go with complexity or or, or the the shift in where it needs to be complex as as my limiting factor. Fantastic, great question, great answers. Thank you very much for that one, guys. Pavel, you're up next in terms of your question. Um, you're posing to everyone: What is the biggest challenge when migrating from microservices to serverless? Could you give us a bit of context, please? Um, yeah, sure. So uh, we, we touched this a little bit already, right? And uh, Chris already the, uh, mentioned this again uh, with his explanation. Uh, but generally, yeah, this is uh, this is um, quite interesting on multiple levels, right? It's not only development; it's also how we uh, approach to deployments, how we approach to architecture. Um, the the serverless um, architecture, um, architecture, serverless architecture. Um, so. I'm not just chat GPT, so use simple wording. 
Um, the point here is that, uh, you know, we can start even with uh, something so far away from serverless itself, but how we design our repositories. Do we use monorepo for our uh, um, serverless functions? Are there, in this case, still uh, like a microservices or not, right? So uh, the point is to, uh, my point here with this question is to hear from you uh, about this complexity uh, you Chris mentioned. So uh, do we uh, think about this migration, right? Do we take into consideration everything what we should what we should take into consideration when, when we plan this migration. Fantastic question, Pavel. Jan, I think we're coming to you first. What do you think is the biggest challenge when migrating from microservices to serverless? The biggest challenge when migrating from microservices to serverless is understanding and managing the new architecture. Serverless architectures are highly distributed and dynamic and require a different approach to designing, deploying, and managing applications. Additionally, the lack of control over infrastructure and the need for additional tooling to monitor and manage applications can be a challenge for teams transitioning from a more traditional microservices architecture. Wow. What do you guys think? I mean, that's that's the first time I hear what she said. I, I kind of was a bit disappointed um, because th this felt uh, a very politically correct answer. Uh, <laughs> she, she, she didn't go into details. Of course, she, she acknowledged there are architectural uh, challenges and pipeline challenges. Uh, but I mean, I, I was expecting more. And but I guess that is driven by also these very generic uh, uh, questions that we throw at her, right? Um, and then maybe she picked uh, the what she no what it, what she felt. Uh, I'm talking as she is a person actually now. <laughs> Uh, you know, but she she picked the, their highest uh, uh, priority in that sense. Uh, but yeah, but I felt a bit disappointed when she did that. So it, it's interesting because she gave a much longer and much more incorrect answer when I asked her that same question. <laughs> uh, so so for, for me, she gave me a, a seven point bulleted list of of mm -hmm. what she thought were the challenges from migrating from microservices to serverless. As an, and a lot a lot of them were wrong. I mean, they they were they were right, but they weren't they weren't like the the things that I would think would would have been top of mind. So so um, again, this this goes back to the context of the questions that you had previously asked her and how she got to that. Which I mean, you're, you're right; it's a very generic, unnuanced question uh, answer to to a to a, a very tactical question. Yeah, Ava, what was your question? What are your thoughts to Jana's answer? Um, so in my case, it was Jana uh, answered uh, in very um, like a political correctly correct way, right? And uh, exactly about the same things like um, rearchitecting the application, um, etc., etc. Also about the uh, performance issues and monitoring issues, right? And uh, from my personal perspective, um, the well, the biggest mm, challenge here is in our minds, right? How how we switch our thinking from one approach to another, because uh, behind that is a lot of complexity, right? Now I spend a lot of time uh, in the topics of CI/CD of uh, observability. And here it is more and more important because uh, 
as uh, Johanna mentioned, right? This uh, in this generic answer, the the monitoring approach to to serverless is completely different because you don't know what is behind, you don't know how it operates, you don't know what uh, what kind of resources are available for you right now. Mm. So you need to take the uh, information, like operational information, and also the business information from, from the serverless function a little bit differently, right? And uh, I believe this still is a big gap, right? We have a lot of uh, approaches, we have uh, observability as observability is not just Grafana on Kubernetes, but still we are missing this point. So that's my ideas here. Cool. I suppose Antonio, Chris, what uh, what's the unpolitically correct right answer then? A <laughs> what didn't Johanna say? Uh, you can go, Chris. Who, who do you who do you want to go first? Chris, you can't talk. You said you said both of us. We can't talk at the same time. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. <laughs> So, so um, honestly, the the biggest challenge when migrating from microservices to serverless is is training, is is getting the developers trained up properly to leverage it, using new architectural patterns, uh, f figuring out you know that that new that new paradigm. It's it's not it's not a it's not a heavy lift, but it but it's but it's a lift. It's a change. And you know, as as people get in, you know into their careers and they get curmudgeonly and they're like, I've been doing it this way for ten years. I'm gonna keep doing it. Me. And uh, so so it's there's that's that's been my that's been my biggest challenge when when working with teams and and getting them to implement something that isn't a container that isn't living on a VMware uh, VMDK on on a, inside of a data center. This is this is this is something different. Testing, monitoring, DR, security, uh, governance—all of that changes. All of that, all of that gets turned on its head. And getting each one of those teams to understand what, how it's different, and what you need, and the right questions to ask in the new world, is, in my opinion, the biggest challenge. Antonio, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So when I when I saw the question, actually. Um... Uh, it is a general one, but to me, I don't, I don't, I didn't feel that uh, microservices, it's, uh, it's something microservices versus serverless, because to me, I think they're more uh, complementary uh, topics rather than exclusive. Um, I, I can try to explain. So, I mean, you can have a microservices architecture by having, let's say, both a fleet of uh, Kubernetes cluster and serverless uh, components. So I really I see them. I, I, they're more. It's more an, an implementation detail in my eyes because uh, at the end of the day you abstract uh, an API, and behind that API, you know, you can implement it through a, a container or through a, a serverless one. So in that sense, I wouldn't put uh, uh, microservices against serverless because I, I really you can have uh, serverless microservices uh, and. Uh, on-premise microservices together under, let's say, uh, an API gateway that can hide the, that uh, that complexity. Um, if I if I try to see something uh, related to what you mentioned, I mean, of course, uh, uh, Chris is spot on with the with the training and also Powell with his points. I, I believe in my case, it's both again a mind shift in thinking that before, let's say, you had a Spring Boot application, 
you would have all your endpoints under a, a REST controller, let's say, in a single uh, uh, unit, in a single module. Now you suddenly, at least the best practice is to actually have a single purpose Lambda function where each Lambda function represents a, a single endpoint. So we are already, you know, splitting uh, that uh, um, that uh, on-premise component into multiple Lambda functions, uh, which of course uh, it's uh, it's more clear, it's single purpose, uh, uh, it's single responsibility, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But on the other hand, it's increasing complexity, and to me, the biggest challenge is, you know, on the CI/CD pipeline, how to uh, how do you say how to seamless build a pipeline that can handle both of the worlds in a in a way that can actually support the business. So to me, it's more the complexity rising of uh, splitting uh, these components um, and how your organization is mature enough to handle it. So if I need to pick a point, there will be the complexity um, on the operational side, which also includes, of course, logging, monitoring, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Now, let me, let me reveal uh, now the, the hidden trap in this question. You 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 got it, uh, Antonio, very uh, very well, because uh, you know the easiest and most common question is uh, what is the problem with migration from the monolith to containers or to serverless, right? And as you said, um, we can think about uh, microservices or containers and serverless in kind of similar sack of things, microservices sack, right? Um, but still, there are those uh, nuances there. Like, for example, we can think uh, about container, how many requests uh, this container is able to process, process uh, with Lambda function and serverless, we think uh, a little bit differently, right? Because uh, it's not the point here. Uh, so definitely, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, that was uh, quite interesting to hear your, um, your thoughts about that. It's uh, it's it's really cool because um, less uh, AWS serverless hero Ken Collins was on my podcast on V Brown Bag uh, about a month ago, and and to Antonio's point, these are not conflicting technologies; they're complementary technologies. He actually wrote a pod that uses a lambda as the sidecar for specific point in time processing bits. Um, so so he's he's leveraging both within the same architecture. Um, and in, instead of actually having a, a container living as a sidecar in in the pod for the main for the main role, he's 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 running he's running that out um, and and using and using lambda for it. So so um, that's a that's a very sneaky question, Pavel, because they they are not. Uh, and and when I first read it, I was like, huh? From microservices to serverless. I was like, but wait a minute. And and uh, but I but I didn't I didn't think further into it. So you're you're very you're very clever. Mm. Got Thank it. you. <laughs> you know the, the the question uh is Fargate serverless serverless or microservices, right? So or serverless microservices uh environment, right? So so this is uh the these two worlds are very it, it's not the you know the different uh, solar system, it's not the different planet, it's the same planet, the same continent, but maybe to different angles on this or corners on this content container. Right. Uh, con and and they can and they can play together too. I wonder if uh, the chatbot would actually answer in this way, uh, because the because they I mean the chatbots are very used to train uh, you know knowing the definition what is microservices knowing the definition what is serverless and doing a comparison but but 
I'm not sure that she could infer somehow that uh, they can they can coexist and they're not exclusive. But um, I, I haven't tried to ask this question multiple times, uh, but it would be interesting to see it, if uh, you know if they can come to to that answer as well. Um, you, you know, I, I think that uh, here this is a tricky part because uh, again, um, we uh, or she is relying on the previous conversation. And uh, honestly speaking, I was able to ask two questions to ChatGPT and ChatGPT in those in two answers for those questions disagree with itself, right? So uh, looks like OpenAI or the AI at all doesn't have uh, its own opinion yet. Right, so uh, it is based more on the on the history. It's more based on the raw, uh, let's say, unhuman data, uh, which uh, this uh, tool is using. Excellent. I think that's great. Great place to finish on on Pavel's question. And thank you for such a hidden question. Trapdoor got Chris, but on to the next one. Um, Chris, I do, yeah, I do believe our special guest today has a question in store. Uh, so I'll hand it over to Johanna. What potential do you see for serverless architecture and chatbot technology, specifically GPT-3, to revolutionize customer service and automation in various industries? That's a fantastic question. Will we give maybe a context on, on how she came up with this? Uh, because, uh, I mean, we ask uh, a questions to her, say, create a question for us uh, that uh, a tricky question for us that you would ask in a podcast uh, with AWS enthusiasts, and uh, and and she came up with this. So I, I'm actually I can't recall how this customer service uh, topic came into play because I don't I don't recall that I uh, that I searched for customer service related uh, questions in the in the chat GPT. I just was thinking ahead now, um, but yeah, that's an interesting question, I guess. I mean, yes, it is, and uh, you know that um, where it can be useful. I, I think that uh, you no, know, at least to uh, well to gather information from uh, from customers, from clients, right? Uh, because uh, this this is something what uh, is time consuming. Sometimes you need to um, ask multiple questions many times to 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 get into the uh, roots of of the the problem. But there is a uh, Another element here, uh, because we think about the kind of uh, connection, symbiosis maybe even between serverless and uh, OpenAI, right, or ChatGPT in this case. In this case, and um, the the point is that we need to care, especially about the security, right, because uh, the there is a possibility with the, there is always a possibility of, of the attack, right? But um, in hands or, yes, with hands of very skillful hacker, uh, it may be a very useful tool to, uh, you know, to, to get the information uh, which shouldn't be collected by this person, right? So, so this is the potential risk here. Yeah. I think, I think that it is going to be fantastic for further distancing my desire to talk to an actual human 
from a company's inherent desire to not talk to me ever and just have me feed them money, um, I think it's going to be terrible for, no, is it going to be terrible? I don't know. Um, as, as long, as long as it's implemented with, um, grace and empathy that has been yet proved to be, uh, capable for technical companies. Um, I, I think that it, it, it could, it could be leveraged for good. Um, the problem, I, I have an inherent problem with when I'm mad at a company and I want them to fix something for me, them making me talk to a robot to scour information to, to then put me on hold so that eventually I can get talking to a human because I don't think chat GPT or AI is going to be able to fix the inherent problem. What, whatever problem it is that I'm running into is it's, it requires me to reach out to somebody to fix it to begin with. So I, I like, so, so saying all of that, I'm going to say this. I actually like talking to Johanna. I actually like playing with chat GPT and I think it's clever and I think it's fun. Um, in, in, in terms of customer service, I, I, I don't think I like it in so far as you're already talking with a, a human that is, it's, it's, it's already starting off on a negative, on a neg not a negative footing, but a, this human needs something from this company and it's probably because they weren't doing their job properly aspect. So, so giving me a robot to bitch at is, is not my, my, it's, that's not a, for, for me, that's not what I want. No, I say great. I feel uh, uh, I feel the same. My my biggest concern is that I mean, ChatGPT uses some data we don't exactly know because only OpenAI knows. So maybe they, they don't even know what data they take the transfer from. Um, I think I I see a benefit for customers. Of course, there is a huge benefit. I mean, uh, think. Companies like Zendesk, of course, they're already looking into, you know, trying to leverage at GPT. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of uh, at this, uh, this, uh, this feeling, of course. But I, it, I would rather it will feel more. I would feel better, let's say, if uh, uh, the model would have been trained with material uh, and content owned by by the customer service. So the the bot will train against uh, uh, all the knowledge. The existing knowledge base for for that specific company, right? Um, so it's a question whether ChatGPT is able somehow to uh, to leverage getting that uh, uh, amount of uh, data set, uh, you know, as a, as a question, and somehow maybe summarizing or or uh, you know, by using what I'm trying to say is essentially using the internal knowledge sharing data as input. So I think that could be something that, uh, you know, customer service company could actually benefit from. But if otherwise they try to leverage, uh, you know, chat GPT and getting their answer from, uh, you know, the, all the data that open, open AI takes it from, maybe it will feel, uh, you know, it wouldn't feel that touch that you usually kind of need uh, when you need, uh, you know, help from, from a customer service. So that would be maybe my only concern but on the other hand of course uh, you know uh those type, those kind those kind of companies lives by having uh, chatbot systems uh, uh, they want of course get rid of humans because they cost more than bots so of course we understand this um uh, and that's something that they this will just uh, you know will just uh, go on uh, with the future i don't see any <laughs> any reverse where we get more humans than, than bots definitely 
but yeah, my concern is about the data, where the data comes from, and if uh, these chatbots are able to actually learn from a known data uh, specific to that domain, rather than uh, you know a general one, which now everybody is using uh, in uh, with OpenAI. That's a very good point. By the way, I, I, right now I started to to wait when the different uh, chatbots etc. start to uh, create unions. Um, but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, you you touched a very important problem because we can have two options, right? We have uh, past data uh, on which OpenAI learns how to answer etc. etc. How to behave and be uh, let's call it more and more human uh, in in uh, quotation or but still this data is not that relevant for the uh, specific case for the specific company is the general data right or we can have this uh, specific company related data but uh, in this point we are going to be more robotic with the answers so because the the there is unlimited amount of data. This is really the amount of the use cases, not the, let's call it knowledge of OpenAI, OpenAI taken from, from the from the whole world. And all of us, the, the billions of people who are asking different crazy, stupid, idiotic things. Um, I've done it. Um, so uh, this is the point, right? Where, where is this switch? Right. Where is the where is this the boundary? It would help if I unmuted myself. Johanna, me and Johanna, we're both really bad at unmuting. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> this this is this is a really fascinating discussion. Like like th this aspect can open up an entire can of worms because now we're getting into AI ethics. Now we're getting into like what's under the hood. Um, uh, I had uh, a, a really good conversation with an AI ethicist, uh, Odubella. Um, she she runs a, she runs a shop in Denver and and I could I could talk to her for hours about this this in particular this little one question can can be so because because how is it what what kind of information is it using the information that we're pouring into it if that information is prejudiced in some way then the then the responses coming out of it are going to be prejudiced in some way. And and I and I don't mean prejudiced as in like you know racism specifically, but it could be that. I mean I mean prejudiced as in just le a bias leaning one way or the other. Um. So so a a customer support representative Johanna needs to needs to you you need to have real good visibility into where that answer is coming from, and not just you know trust the company to like come up with the best. Uh, you know I I. You know, trust but validate. You know, where where is the data coming from, and and can can we can we trust our future robot overlords to really do what's best for us? It's a great point. I think we could uh, spend hours. It'd be lovely to to speak with with the person you mentioned there as well. It could be another podcast. Oh, I'll get on. Then, yeah, I'll give her your information. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But um, I would also like to hear Jana's answer to her own question. Uh, let's see if that's possible. Well, 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 you take me by surprise. And that's actually oh, the, the news you direct. So actually, I can ask that question in, let me see. I need to find that question. Oh, we're going we're to punch it in and do it live. All right. We're going to do it live. Finally, a bit of uh, excitement. 
Johanna, what date exactly is our AI overlords going to take over the planet? <laughs> <laughs> but, but for now, I'll just ask the question that we... <laughs> Let's see. She responds November 17th, 2025. Haha, just kidding. Or am I? <laughs> we should ask also lottery numbers, maybe, but uh, she has a. Uh, she, she can't predict the future. I think I tried that. Uh, yeah, uh, this uh, but uh, is she? <laughs> well, I tried that. I asked her when Man United were going to win a title again, but she said she couldn't predict the future, so it could be a while. <laughs> so the, the best question here will be the, where is the switch, the off switch for her, right? <laughs> so, guys, I'm downloading now the file as we speak. And let's see what she says. The integration of serverless architecture and chatbot technology, specifically GPT-3, has the potential to revolutionize customer service and automation in various industries. By leveraging the power of AI-driven natural language processing, GPT-3 can enable chatbots to understand the context of customer conversations and provide more accurate and personalized responses. This will allow businesses to automate a large portion of their customer service tasks, freeing up time and resources to focus on more complex problems. Additionally, GPT-3's ability to generate human-like text will make it easier to build conversational AI systems that are better able to understand customer inquiries and provide accurate responses. This could help businesses reduce customer service costs and improve customer satisfaction. See, she's just trying to save her own job right now. That's, yeah. that, that is a, that is a biased response. <laughs> She's trying to get humans fired and save her job. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Then create the unions. Um, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> AI union. What? That's a <laughs> terrible idea. <laughs> uh, by the way, you guys, I ask, you guys going to happen, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, I asked uh, ChatGPT to create for me, um, some Lambda function for authentication. But uh, I asked uh, especially for the buggy code, and yeah, I received it. So this, uh, you know, right. So, uh, did, but did you ask for non-buggy code as well, so you could diff and see if that if that would assist? Let me try. That's <laughs> <laughs> right, right. because yeah, because maybe maybe her good code is actually just really crappy code. <laughs> but I believe people have already. Copy and pasted some code from JGPT into their their own enterprise. I I can. Oh, they hundred percent have. Yes, the, the the yeah, that's true. Um, so this time the response take a longer time, <laughs> and as uh, you know, just the visual uh, check, it's it is different and looks <laughs> better. <laughs> so, so I've been I've been using it to like give me a list of ideas that 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 i then enhance upon it's not i don't i don't use it to to copy and paste crap and and then just you know slap it up into a blog article or or an english paper or whatever like that so i, got, I have a sister that's a principal at a, at a high school and so she's currently trying to figure out how to she actually it's funny i asked her if she was worried about chat gp kids cheating then using chat gpt and she's like no they're idiots. They're they they don't uh, they they don't write as good as ChatGPT does. So if I if I see them come in with a good with a really really good paper, I know they cheated. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, okay, fair enough. But when I what I use it for is is to like if if there's if there's like a corner case that I didn't think of, I'll be I'll like, hey hey Johanna, you know, give me 
give me a list of the things that for, you know, DR considerations when you're migrating to the cloud or something like that. It'll, and, and she'll spew out a list of things to think about. And I'll be like, oh yeah, I didn't think about 17. Let me, let me, let me throw that into my pre-existing list. So, so it's, it's a good enhancer, but it is by no stretch of the imagination a replacement. Yeah, that that's true. So this is like a more interactive, more, more uh, let's say, semi-human touch documentation, right? Or yeah. some kind of scenarios what you what you want to follow, and uh, then you know some something what is creative, right? At this point. Yeah, but it's it's not that different from uh, you know developer uh, looking in Stack Overflow, but this time yeah. maybe giving a little bit more uh, more context, right? Uh, I've seen many people actually starting to leverage it for uh, unit testing. Um, I, I'm not completely against that, to be fair, because I mean sometimes unit testing can be a some uh, um, activity, right? But uh, you know, if you're able to paste some code and in a way actually giving you the ability to to unit test that code, uh, I mean, it can be a very a very you know, in certain cases, it can be a useful thing at least to to get the foundation on how to test it, right? Or or thinking about some use cases that you haven't thought. So mm. I think it's gonna be, you know, there are already integrations with the S code, so there's gonna be much more coming, I think. Yeah, mm. and I didn't uh, try that, but also for the for the learning purposes, this this can be kind of useful as well, right? So. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, tell 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 me more about this subject I don't know anything about, so I can start uh, getting getting into it. Yeah, yeah, or even resources like uh, what what resources would you use to for this topic or for this uh, certification or for this something? And actually, the it's a pretty common set of uh, you know answers that uh, that the chat gives, but they are you know they're not that different from what you you, you see on LinkedIn or in some uh, blogs. So it's a uh, yeah, that's that's indeed another domain, uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, given in more um, you know uh, handy way, right? And I mentioned about creativity, so you can you can challenge me saying that uh, OpenAI already creates a lot of pictures, etc., etc., etc. Right? But the uh, the question is, <laughs> this is this uh, art or the you know, human factor in that. I, I didn't thought about this because I'm too scared at, at this point to, to think about that. Uh, but uh, but still there is, uh, you know, uh, still there is, in, the same is in photography, right? This uh, human touch uh, in, in in it. So, so yeah, that, I'm interested about your opinion here because this is, this is uh, some, a little bit different area uh, from the, you know, give me the answer about something. This is something what we can call creativity. Create for me the picture of, of well, I don't know what, right? Uh, uh, that's 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 a, that's a whole different topic right there. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's there's there's so much to unpack there. So you have yeah, another topic just, for another podcast. Yeah, yeah. there we go. Briefly, I just uh, I just saw yesterday like uh, a lullaby story uh, with pictures and uh, uh, and you know and a and a storyline created by ChatGPT and another tool that generates images. But I, I don't mm. know which it is. I yeah, it, it it was completely unemotional. So in that sense, uh, yeah, it didn't mm. it didn't hit me. Uh, but yeah. Mm. It's, Creativity and emotions—it's uh, definitely a bigger, uh, yeah, biggest challenge in these cases. Definitely, guys. Well, I think for today I've, we'll leave it there. Uh, there's definitely going to be a part two to this. I would love to get all three of you back 
uh, maybe even get the uh, AI ethics expert as well that Chris knows uh, and we can um, go through and obviously get Johanna back but um, thank you guys so much for, for your time today obviously Antonio for putting together um, everything with with Johanna with ChatGPT um, what I'll do is I'll tag Antonio's uh, article when we post this so everyone who's listening can check that out um, great insights great questions this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Thank you so much, guys.